0: Gathered in love and service for justice and peace. If you don't have good memories of the holidays, let's change that, starting now. I've been reflecting on holiday memories, both heartwarming and soul searing and I want to invite you to a spiritual practice introduced to me by our own John Sacco, who knows more than a little about suffering, transmuting suffering into compassion, and keeping the faith despite having considered the facts. John says, drop your story. When we drop our story, checking our baggage in the past where it belongs, we can unwrap the gift of the present. Suddenly there is the possibility of curiosity and wonder and joy. Recently, Arlington Street's Tim Kutzmark, now minister at our church in Renning, introduced me to an enchanting short story entitled A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. Until he was 10 years old, Truman Capote lived with a family of distant and elderly cousins in a small town in rural Alabama. This could not have been easy. But his relationship with Miss Suk Falk, one of those cousins whom he called simply my friend, has much to say about the power of keeping it simple, the truest meanings of wealth and generosity, and choosing to make wonderful memories, our choice. For all of us longing to leave the past in the past and to create something brand new, I invite you now to settle in for just a little of Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. A woman with shorn white hair is standing at the kitchen window. She is wearing tennis shoes and a shapeless gray sweater over a summery calico dress. She is small and sprightly like a bantam hen. Her face is remarkable, not unlike Lincoln's, craggy like that and tinted by sun and wind and her eyes are sherry-colored and timid. Oh my, she exclaims, her breath smoking the windowpane. It's fruitcake weather. The person to whom she is speaking is myself. I am seven. She is 60-something. We are cousins, very distant ones, and we have lived together, well, as long as I can remember. Other people inhabit the house, relatives. We are not, on the the whole, too much aware of them. We are each other's best friend. She calls me Buddy in memory of a boy who was formerly her best friend. The other Buddy died in the 1880s when she was still a child. She is still a child. I knew it before I got out of bed, she says, turning away from the window with a purposeful excitement in her eyes. Oh, buddy, help me find my hat. We've 30 cakes to bake. It's always the same. A morning arrives and my friend, as though officially inaugurating the Christmas time of year that exhilarates her imagination and fuels the blaze of her heart, announces, It's fruitcake weather. The hat is found. A straw cartwheel corsage with velvet roses out of doors has faded. It once belonged to a more fashionable relative. Together, we guide our dilapidated baby carriage out into the garden and into a grove of pecan trees. Three hours later, we are back in the kitchen, hulling a heaping buggy load of windfall pecans. Our backs hurt from gathering them, how hard they were to find the main crop having been shaken off the trees and sold by the orchard's owners, who are not us. Crackle, a cheery crunch, scraps of miniature thunder sound as the shells collapse and the golden mounds meet meet mounds in the milk glass bowl. Dusk turns the kitchen window into a mirror. Our reflections mingle with the rising moon as we work by the fireside in the firelight. At last, when the moon is quite high, we toss the final hull into the fire and with joined sighs, watch it catch flame. The buggy is empty. The bowl is brimful. We eat our supper, cold biscuits, bacon, blackberry jam, and discuss tomorrow. Tomorrow, the kind of work I like best begins, buying cherries and citron, ginger and vanilla and canned Hawaiian pineapple, rinds and raisins and walnuts and whiskey, and oh, so much flour, butter, so many eggs, spices, flavorings. But before these purchases can be made, there is the question of money. Neither of us has any, except for skinflint sums persons in the house occasionally provide. A dime is considered very big money or what we earn ourselves from various activities, selling buckets of hand-picked blackberries, rounding up flowers for funerals and weddings. But one way and another, we do each year accumulate Christmas savings, a fruitcake fund. These monies we keep hidden in an ancient bead purse under a loose board under my friend's bed. And now, with supper finished, we retire to the room in a faraway part of the house where my friend sleeps in an iron bed painted rose pink, her favorite color. Silently, wallowing in the pleasures of conspiracy, we take the bead purse from its secret place and spill its content on the scrap quilt. Neither of us has a head for figures. We count slowly, lose track, start again. According to her calculations, we have $12 and 73 cents. According to mine, exactly 13. I do hope you're wrong, buddy. We can't mess around with 13, the cakes will fall. So to be on the safe side, we subtract a penny and toss it out the window. (laughs) Of the ingredients that go into our fruit cakes, whiskey is the most expensive as well as the hardest to obtain. State laws forbid its sale but everybody knows you can buy a bottle from Mr. Ha Ha Jones. And the next day, having completed our more prosaic shopping, we set out for Mr. Ha Ha's business address, a sinful, to quote public opinion, fish fry and dancing cafe down by the river. We've been there before and on the same errand, but in previous years, our dealings have been with Ha Ha's wife, a woman with brassy, peroxided hair and a dead tired disposition. They call him Ha-Ha because he's so gloomy, a man who never laughs. As we approach his cafe, our steps slow down. People have been murdered in Ha-Ha's cafe. I knock at the door. My friend calls out, Mrs. Ha-Ha, ma'am? Anyone to home? Footsteps. The door opens. Our hearts overturn. It's Mr. Ha-Ha Jones himself. He glowers at us through Satan-tilted eyed and demands to know what you want with Ha Ha. For a moment, we are too paralyzed to tell. Presently, my friend half finds her voice, a whispery voice at best. If you please, Mr. Ha Ha, we'd like a quart of your finest whiskey. His eyes tilt more. Would you believe it? Ha Ha is smiling, laughing too. Which of you is a drinking man? It's for making fruitcakes, Mr. Ha-Ha, cooking. This sobers him. He frowns. That's no way to waste good whiskey. (laughs) Nevertheless, he retreats into the shadowed cafe and second later appears, carrying a bottle of daisy yellow unlabeled liquor. He demonstrates its sparkle in the sunlight and says, $2. We pay him with nickels and dimes and pennies. Suddenly as he jangles the coins in his hand like a fistful of dice, his face softens. Tell you what, he proposes, pouring the money back into our bead purse. Just send me one of them fruitcakes instead. Well, my friend remarks on our way home, there's a lovely man. We'll put an extra cup of raisins in his fruitcake. The black stove, stoked with coal and firewood, glows like a lighted pumpkin. Egg beaters whirl, spoons spin round in bowls of butter and sugar. Vanilla sweetens the air. Ginger spices it. Melting, nose-tingling odors saturate the kitchen, suffuse the house, drift out to the world on puffs of chimney smoke. In four days, our work is done. 31 cakes, dampened with whiskey. Bask on windowsills and shelves. Who are they for? Friends. Not necessarily neighbor friends. Indeed, the larger share is intended for persons we've met maybe once, perhaps not at all. People who have struck our fancy, like President Roosevelt, like the Reverend and Mrs. J.C. Lucy, Baptist missionaries to Borneo, who lectured here last winter. Or the little knife grinder who comes through t- twice a year, or Abner Parker, the driver of the six o'clock bus from Mobile who exchanges waves with us every day as he passes in a dust cloud whoosh. Or the Whistons, a California couple whose car one afternoon broke down outside the house and spent a pleasant hour chatting with us on the porch. Young Mr. Whiston snapped our picture, the only one we've ever had taken. It is because my friend is shy with everyone except strangers that these strangers and merest acquaintances seem to us our truest friends. Also, the scrapbooks we keep of thank yous on White House stationery, time-to-time communications from California and Borneo, the knife grinders' penny postcards make us feel connected to eventful worlds beyond the kitchen with its view of a sky that stops. Now a nude December fig branch grates against the window. The kitchen is empty. The cakes are gone. Yesterday we carted the last of them to the post office where the cost of stamps turned our purse inside out. We're broke. That rather depresses me, but my friend insists on celebrating with two inches of whiskey left in Haha's Ha's bottle. We divide it between a pair of jelly glasses. We're both quite odd at the prospect of drinking straight whiskey. The taste of it brings screwed up expressions and sour shudders. But by and by, we begin to sing, the two of us singing different songs simultaneously. I can dance, that's what I mean to be a tap dancer in the movies. My dancing shadow rollicks on the walls. Our voices rock the chinaware. We giggle as if unseen hands were tickling us. My friend waltzes around the stove, the hem of her poor calico skirt pinched between her fingers as though it were a party dress. Show me the way to go home, she sings, her tennis shoes squeaking on the floor. Show me the way to go home. Beloved spiritual companions, if you don't have good memories of the holidays, let's change that, starting now. Let's check our baggage where it belongs in the past and unwrap the gift of the present, the possibility of curiosity and wonder and real joy. May we keep it simple. May we know the truest meanings of family and friendship, wealth, and generosity. May we choose to make wonderful memories, our choice. Let us create something brand new. It's fruitcake weather. Amen.